podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Riders Podcast. With the 2019-2020 season about to kick off, we're back to provide you with an analytical look at the best articles of the week in the football sphere, with particular focus on those regarding our beloved Liverpool Football Club. I am prolific tweeter John O'Sullivan, and each week I will be joined by some of the foremost internet football writers to further delve into all things Liverpool with our selective articles from Anfield Index and beyond establishing our talking points. It is my honour on my debut as a podcast host to welcome our first guest, Plane tracker extraordinaire and a liver of possibly the coolest life of anyone I know, Mr. Adam Petruccione. Adam, welcome aboard. <laughs> Good morning, John. How's it going, man? Very well, thank you. Hope you're well. Doing, so, doing pretty good, man. Normally, uh, I'm, used to, I'm used to being a nighttime podcaster, but uh, just uh, life getting in the way, that's not possible anymore. So normally I have a couple drinks in front of me, but it's 10 a.m. here in Madrid. So, you know, we'll try, uh, we'll try doing... Uh, a podcast alcohol free we'll see how like like you can always drink in the morning it's okay like i'm irish it's, it's fine <laughs> that's true I, i'm not gonna stand in your way but uh power drunk as i am i'd first like to discuss an article i wrote so entitled Preseason selection give hints to pecking order i ponder whether Klopp picking Jorginho wijnaldum and alex oxlick chamberlain as a wide forwards in consecutive games shows how far the front three pecking order Harry Wilson and, Kent, and Ryan Kent are now at the minute. So I think that many people have discussed the possibility of Wilson, who was fresh off a good loan at Derby last season, would be like an option to provide Liverpool with another front three kind of a, kind of an option next season. But the fact that he's starting Oxlade-Chamberlain over him in games kind of tells us that he mightn't get the chance that we thought he might have. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think just... Um... Just a step back. I mean, uh, just overall, we look pretty awful, right? Uh, you know, I think I think uh, it was fairly fairly amusing that that Kent uh, unfollowed us uh, over the week uh, over the weekend. It seems like um, you know, it's sort of like a girl that you never had interest in that's saying she's never going to date you and then storms off, right? So, uh, you know, I, I never. It always seemed like it was a long shot for both Kent and Wilson. Um, uh, you know, a credit to Klopp for, for giving them the opportunity over the summer. Um, you know, I, I thought to be fair to them, they looked as good as could be expected. The thing that people have to remember is that, you know, we're, we're not looking at these guys one at a time plugged into the normal, um, uh, starting 11. We're seeing all replacements all the time in terms of the attack. Uh, so they don't look great. <laughs> but I, I don't know how much of a shock that's supposed to be. Right? I think, look, the story seems to be already written with Kent. As far as Wilson goes, if if you had, you know, and this really goes for Oxley Chamberlain or uh, Genie being in the front three as well, but any of them plugged into the normal front three with just one of them out, I think is going to look a hell of a lot better. So, you know, maybe that's me just trying to sort of talk myself off of the ledge a little bit after after watching the team perform this summer. 
But uh, that's kind of my take on it. I feel like, you know, Genie, Genie playing on the left, I think, can work if, if he's there with, the, with, you know, Mo on the other side and Bobby in the middle. I think that could be okay. And the same thing if, if you're talking about a limited amount of games or a limited amount of minutes, putting uh, Wilson in and some cup games or something like that, and then he's got a strong, uh, you know, rest of the team, a strong 11 around him. It's it's okay. It's not ideal. But we can get through it. I think maybe something that's more damning as well of uh, Wilson's kind of chances progressing forward is the fact that Shakiri is injured. He's still not necessarily starting as that you know left foot option on the on the right hand side that Klopp usually likes to employ with Salah. And if we switch to four two three one like we have having uh, Salah up front and then having Shakiri up the right, so I think uh, reading between the lines. It's doesn't look too hopeful uh, for Wilson. Um, like you said with Kent, it's, it's fairly petty that you completely unfollow the club and all social media channels. <laughs> but kind of more indicative of like how much we read into things in 2019 as well, that that would be... It was like the time that people were convinced that Coutinho was coming back because he removed Barcelona from his bio on Instagram, but apparently it was never there in the first place. But uh, that's uh, that's a nice little view into how uh, how people consume football in 2019. But yeah, you know, I, th- I think the other thing with Wilson is that his strength is that he's he's supposed to be a free kick expert, right? Well, you know, so then it's not just he, he the scenario would have to be he'd have to be on the pitch, and Shakiri would not would have to not be on the pitch, and Trent would have to not be on the pitch for him to use that strength of his because I assume that you'd want them taking a free kick over Wilson anyway. So, you know, it's just, it's not a, it's a very tough situation for him to overcome. Um, but again, like just, he's not, he's not going to play. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. It's a, even if he's in the squad as an emergency backup, um, he's going to play and, cup matches and, and, and he's going to be in there with other players that are stronger than him. And it's just, he's not going to be that much of a factor, hopefully. So, <laughs> so, you know, and I, and I just think the deck was stacked against him from the beginning. Like I said, it's, it's for him. He's not able to show his strengths and he's in there with all with, with a backup attack. So it's just, it's been a tough, tough situation all around for Wilson. Yeah, and you mentioned the backup attack. Could um, maybe something that people that may want to defend him and think he has a chance going forward is um, the fact that there's a lack of synergy between this. Uh, what would you say, like backup from trees who barely ever play together, and when they have played together, it's been on American sports pitches in the searing heat and in preseason with kind of very much changed teams against more That's established true as well. teams. That's true as well. The elements are, are awful. you got, you know, the midfield that you're left with because you've got some of the midfield is filling in an attack. So the, the rest of the midfield that you're left with is not a very creative one in terms of, like, Hendo and, and Milner. So, yeah, it's just it's just not a great situation all around. I think I think the consensus amongst most people, and you know, there's there's accuracy to these claims, is that uh, whatever about Wilson, who you know, who has his strong points. I think Kent is really, really someone who uh, who really is not the requisite standard. Um, six goals for Rangers last season in the SPL for a team that finished second hardly screams hardly screams ideal quality to you. And then a lot of the time, he 
he he reminds me of Milan Barros. Obviously, not as good of a player or the fact that he's a striker, but the fact he's very prone to running into blind alleys. He uh, he has a lot of um, attributes which, in isolation, are good, like searing pace and dribbling ability. He's very forward-thinking and bloody-minded, but he doesn't have the decision-making to tie all these things together into a package, so he's extremely erratic and inconsistent. And uh, I think I think his preseason minutes so far are kind of showing where, where Klopp sees his future. Yeah, I mean, he has the he has the running part down. Uh, to me, like, when you watch him, he almost looks like if we took Robbo and just played him, you know, uh... And that's basically what he is. I mean, he doesn't have the finishing ability of a, you know, of a of a forward of Liverpool's quality. So he just looks sort of out of place there. He's he's doing the work, but yeah, just the the overall quality is not there. I think maybe the best thing about having Michael Edwards in charge is how he's going to uh, fleece some offices and clubs for Kent and for uh, and for Wilson. People have often said if your academy has two has two main objectives: one to produce players for the first team, and two to produce players that you can sell, that then you can reinvest the money back into the first team. So, in a lot of ways, I think Liverpool can do quite well from Ryan Kent and Harry Wilson, just maybe not in a straightforward kind of a way. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the comments from uh, Stevie G, I think you know he's said that he'll wait as long as possible for for Kent and. Uh, He's he's obviously a strong player at a particular level, and Wilson Wilson as well. You know, we've seen uh, pretty huge numbers in terms of the transfers in the championship, and that's not necessarily uh, based on overall talent. It's it's based on a talent that's particularly suited for the championship. And Wilson's shown that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people. I was listening to uh, Dave Hendrick's show the other day, old school, and he was saying that. Wilson wasn't necessarily the best player at Derby, but you know he's up there and he certainly helped them quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you can get decent money. I'm sure you can get, you know, probably ten for Kent and fifteen for Wilson, something along those lines. It's it surprised me a bit this summer not to see more uh, sort of churn from uh, from our squad because that seems to be a strength of. I mean, it obviously is a strength of Edwards, given his, uh, the deals that we've done in the past in terms of outgoings. Uh, you think, you'd think we would use that to the best of our abilities and use it as often as possible. But, uh, you know, it's not just the incomings that were very quiet on the summer. It's the outgoings as well. And do you think they're married? Do you think it possibly Liverpool could have shed some more fat from their squad and sold some of the more higher earners that may not necessarily contribute as much say for example Adam Milano who's probably seven choice midfielder at this stage but on 110 grand a week I think they would have seen more activity coming in if there were some more going out you know from a from a pure numbers standpoint it, it looks that way if it's just like you know, if you're playing FIFA or something like that yeah it, it makes sense because obviously if we had the you know, with the numbers that I was just going over. So if we had that 25 million, that seems to be based on the headlines enough to get like Furpo or enough to get uh, maybe Sassanian. So, but, but at the end of the day, I guess, you know, there's real people and real world uh, uh, circumstances involved. And maybe those players just don't want to come. Maybe Liverpool is not their first choice. Uh, maybe they want to go to Spurs and Barcelona respectively. So, um, yeah. 
I, I don't know. I, I, that could so that could be part of it. It could be just that they don't have the targets in mind that would justify selling these guys in order to turn around and buy another player. Um, you know the 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 news articles that came out from the sort of uh, the tier one journals <laughs> uh, early in the in the transfer window were saying that Lloyd Kelly was sort of our only target. And then when he went to Bournemouth, uh, we just sort of closed up shop, which is stunning. But that has played out to be to, to look like it's accurate. So, uh, you know, I, I really I didn't want to trust all the like those, you know, seems like five, six writers. All they were telling us the same thing and I didn't want to believe them. But uh, it appears to be that they uh, they had their stuff right. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like to be the case. I mean, we have about eight. Eight or nine days left in the window, and I'd be I, at this stage. I'd be kind of staggered if they do anything. They do anything big in terms of incomings, despite the fact that there's a big holes in certain areas of the squad. But um, do you think a lot of that is Liverpool being a little bit risk averse? Because, like we mentioned, there's a lot of players. On- yeah, I mean, this is a this is a super interesting summer, and in that I can't remember the last time that there was this many high-profile players. You know, I, I think if, I think if you took a, a football fan off of the street and told them to name the top ten players in the world, <laughs> I feel like half of them you could go out and get them right now if you wanted to, and it might be very expensive, but they're on the market and they never would normally be in terms of Neymar, Bale, Coutinho, James Rodriguez. Like you know, the names of players that you could actually get if you wanted to throw money at it is pretty ridiculous. So. You know, I'm not sure what Liverpool are doing, to tell you the truth. It's, there's a chance that they are waiting until, like, they never do this, but there's a chance that they're waiting until the end of the window to just pick up one of those star players at a cut rate deal. Um, there's a chance that they're, they're looking at uh, Mbappe 2020, like, <laughs> like, like Gags is hoping for. Um, you know, uh, it, it's 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 a very bizarre one. I, I would I think everybody assumed, um, you know, as soon as we raised number six, that we were going to go into the summer and and act from a position of strength and add to an already strong squad. Um, <laughs> you know, I I think the you know, we can sort of like transition this into the Kai Vertz article. And he's another one that sort of falls in the same category as Mbappe in terms of waiting until next year and saving our funds for next year. But I just think waiting is just an odd thing in, in football economics because the prices go up so much from year to year. You know, it's not like, you know, if you save 50 million for, for this season, what does that mean 12 months from now when the prices are 25, 50% higher. <laughs> I just don't know how much of an advantage that gives you, especially when you've got, especially when you've got a team around Edwards that seems to be able to pick the right guys, sell at the right price, buy at the right price. I mean, I'd be leaning on those guys as much as possible. If, just from an ownership perspective, I would want them to buy. I'd want them to churn players because it seems like every time they do, they're making money hand over fist. I absolutely agree with that, but is there an element of you know FSG being nearly too wedded to their plan? I mean, it's brilliant that Liverpool have a plan because we see other clubs like United, 
who just go willy-nilly spend money with like wanton disregard for like the future finances and you know how maybe players will fit into a into a into a cohesive unit but with us do you think sometimes we're nearly too rigid and like we 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 know what we want and we won't do anything but we want and then perhaps then we could maybe lose lose maybe the opportunity to build on our clouds of uh, winning the sixth european cup in the meantime yeah you know I was, I was listening to uh, Gags and Simon on the Fatigue Index pod on the way over, and um, they're just reiterating how long it takes to get players acclimated to the system, acclimated to the um, the physicality that's required to Klopp's system. And, and basically, Cybrunders was saying that uh, you know it takes a good eight, ten months to really get acclimated and, and, and some ways longer than that, you were saying it really could take like two seasons to really understand the system and to be operating optimally within Klopp system. So, you know, so I could see, I can see on that from that standpoint where we probably don't want to make, uh, I guess rash decisions or, or be opportunistic in the transfer window. And it's more just very long-term planning and, and, you know, looking at targets for, an exorbitant amount of time before we really decide to make a move. Uh, you know, again, going back to Dave's pod, he's saying that, that we've scouted uh, Bruno Fernandez for basically two years, you know, and, and the, with the most high level scouts in our, in our organization. So why we're not pulling the trigger there is anybody's guess. But again, like, you know, United seem like they're very optimistic that they're going to sign him, but you know, nothing is uh, final there yet. So I don't know. Uh, you know, you still you still hold that hope that that we could make a move there. Part of it, as you were saying, I don't know if it, it's not really being uh, conservative. I just think you know Henderson is such a key personality in this club, and I've had a lot, I've had a lot to say about him in the past, but. You know, I think uh, bringing in somebody to directly displace him would be a real shock to the system, and I'm sure some some a lot of people probably could fairly say that maybe the club needs that. Uh, but I, I just don't. It would really surprise me if if Klopp did that if he brought in somebody that would um, basically take Henderson's position. That's an interesting segue into what I was going to be my next point. Do you think that? Maybe Klopp's presence to sign just any player is very good for the team morale of the established squad because they're not thinking, oh, like we're always looking to be so active in the market. They want to just keep on replacing us with players that we might not necessarily have heard of. Whereas if it's a long-term target for maybe a very promising player, then they can kind of understand that that's just a natural progression of the club. You know, sometimes sometimes staying still is the best is the best modus operandi. Uh, in certain areas, and is this another example of that? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is sort of like a delicate uh, surgery on the team to be able to make moves for any type of first-team player here, just because the team dynamic is so strong as it is. But I think certain players that have been linked to us, like you know, Furpo, you know, I, I think that he's a a type of player who being able to play multiple positions, um, you figure, you figure he could get enough time on the pitch 
uh, without really, where he basically just optimizing the time that Robertson and Mane are on the pitch rather than, you know, I think that conversation would be pretty easy, I guess. Is what I'm trying to say is, is that you know if you go to if you go to Sadio Mane and and, uh, and Rabo and say listen you're gonna put, play five fewer matches than you did last season but we really felt like you were playing a lot more than you should have last season and and you're gonna be at you know 90 percent for all these games versus trying to get by at 75 percent you know I think that they'd be fine with that I, you know I mean I'm sure they want to play every game but they must have some sense that it's it's better for them to be able to have optimal rest um you know similarly with some you know Thomas rodriguez we haven't been linked with at all and i'm sure that is a deal that would never happen um but you know that type of player just to use as an example on the left and play basically you know anywhere in attack false nine ten whatever uh you know i think that would be an easy player to bring in that type of player somebody that fits that profile where you could basically rest any of the front three or the or the advanced eights so you know uh, there's there's ways to do it where i don't think you'd really be rocking the boat um but there's probably a handful of players out there that that would really fit that profile and for Havertz himself is he a player that you particularly raise if it came down to it if you if you could sign Fernandez this summer or wait and sign Havertz next summer, what would be your line of thinking? I mean, it's probably very ignorant, but I think I think I would always make the move now. I just think there's so many different uh, so many different dynamics. Just everything could be upside down ten months from now. I think you know, at Liverpool we are an incredible club, but we're not in uh, you know the, the club isn't based in Paris. The club's not based in Madrid. The club's not based in Barcelona. You know, there, there's places where if things are going bad for these teams, um, people still want to go there. People still want to live there. Their family wants to live there, all that stuff. Um, you know, this is an absolutely optimal time for Liverpool, and we're not going to sign anybody. You know, and what I mean by that is it's not just Liverpool are at the top of the heap. And they have the best coach in the world. But it's also that United are down. Arsenal are down. Barca are down. PSG is down. Bayern is down. Real is in chaos. Like, <clears throat> that's n- probably never going to happen again in our lifetimes, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah. So, I would sign as many players as the bank account would allow right now. Uh, but that doesn't look like, that doesn't look like the guys inside the club agree with me. Yeah, it also feels like it's an opportunity now because there might be less suitors for the players that we may target. Like you mentioned, a lot of those clubs are kind of are kind of in a mess. And Barcelona, for example, are putting all their eggs into the into the Neymar basket. And as brilliant as he is, I mean, they have just far bigger elephants in the room and things that they need to address. But somehow they seem fixated on signing him. But I actually think that that transfer may. You know, may spark the the market into action a bit more, and it's something that Liverpool could um tend to take advantage of, maybe in the form of say an Usman Dembele, someone that we've extensively looked at before, and in fact even went as far as tried to sign. So that could be something that they're kind of cognizant of. But then again, it could have the opposite effect, where it could really inflate the market and then make players more expensive again. I mean, we benefited off that first time around when Coutinho went for 
much more money when you than he was worth because Barcelona were flush with Neymar cash. So, like you say, it's a very intricate balance, and uh, it's very interesting to see what they do from here. Hey, listen, uh, the Spanish papers, uh, the Spanish papers are saying that we're uh, having discussions about Neymar as we speak. So, <laughs> I couldn't think of a player like less suited to gag pressing than Neymar. Just there's a funny image in my head of Neymar trying to like you know. <laughs> trying to jockey down a Burnley defender in a freezing cold night in Turf Moor in December. <laughs> it, it just doesn't seem like a natural fit to me. I think he's he's more suited to uh, the more warm climes of, say, a Paris or a Barcelona than a freezing cold Liverpool or Burnley <laughs> in December. I'd love to see Neymar running down the wings and then like a, wearing like a scarf and mittens, you know? That'd be great. <laughs> Made from Gucci, I'm sure. But my own opinion on Havertz is that if we were to sign him, it may not necessarily be to play him in an attacking midfield role he has been playing in. Um, people will talk about who the Firmino alternative is and maybe long-term who the Firmino replacement is, but I think people need to keep in mind that Firmino arrives at the club as an attacking midfielder. So logically, they could replace him with an attacking midfielder. Do you think like number nine is someone that Havertz could eventually play? Uh, he seems... He seems to be one of those players that could play just about anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's such a special position for us. And, um, yeah, why not? I, I think this is a kid that could basically be coached into any role, especially if he's working with Klopp. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think he could play just about any of the central positions. Um, and especially, you know, especially given time, with how young he is, I think he could grow into just about any role. And uh, Alex wrote about it quite eloquently in his piece. It's an excellent piece, by the way, and I'd uh, recommend anyone to read it. But uh, uh, he said at times he's played as a number eight. He's uh, played off the striker. He's played on the right-hand side. And I think universality is something that Klopp loves in terms of these players and their tactical makeup. I mean, you only have to look at Gini Wijnaldum. It's getting to the stage now where the only place Wijnaldum hasn't played is in goal. And I would think I would nearly trust him in there. Children by the performances of Mignolet in preseason, I think I would nearly edge towards Wijnaldum if it were to come down to having a backup goalkeeper. So I think it's someone that we'd definitely be interested in, but I think the issue with German players is always is the spectre of Bayern Munich and whether or not they'll get their claws into him because as we know in the case of Goretzka, um, once Bayern kinda of home in on the German and a German player, it's very difficult to uh, to complete a deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, unless unless we've basically made like a pre-agreement with the with the guy, then I just I can't see waiting for him. Like I said, he does, you know, timing wise, and like you said, in, in terms of the way that he plays and his flexibility in terms of his role, it'd be great. So I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, like like you said, you know, I think Klopp would be very reluctant to move on from some of his. Uh, some of his mid- midfield players right now, but I could see, you know, if they're sort of planning this thing out two years ahead as they, as supposedly they do, then sure, you know, maybe, maybe they're planning on bringing in a player like Havertz, uh, and then, you know, possibly moving on from Genie or, uh, or Henderson next year or, or, you know, sort of putting them in a more, uh, reserve role. And would you agree that? The lack of goals in midfield is like uh, is an area of weakness for Liverpool. We saw last season that 
there were seven goals from those midfield players, including penalties, whereas Man City got 29. And I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that like Liverpool should play the same style of football as them and some styles are more conducive to midfielders scoring than others, but it's quite a big gap. Yeah, you know, everything sort of changed after January when we started playing uh, Naby Keita on a regular basis, and it didn't necessarily have to involve Keita. Just it seemed like, you know, whatever the whatever the style change was when he came on, um, you know, he he started scoring and he started uh, creating goals from midfield, and then even when he wasn't playing and we had Henderson in the uh, in the advanced eight, we were getting goals that way as well. Not you know, Henderson has basically no finishing ability, but he was still like creating goals in his own special way. So, so, uh, you know, I think as long as we're, as long as like lessons were learned there and we continue on in the way that we have since January, um, it seems like we can create goals from midfield. You know, Gene is a frustrating player for me. Like I, I really, I rate him in terms of do I think he's an extremely talented player? I think I think he's incredible. I think he he like Havertz can do just about anything. Um, but I'm not sure if it's the system, like what he's being told to do on the pitch that holds him back at times. Um, but it just seems like you know as as we saw, you know against Barcelona, it's like when we when we need. Genie to do when we need Genie to score when we need him to get into the box it just seems like he's one of the best players in the world but at times we're asking him to just um, cover the fullbacks really and then he just sort of is left out of the match and the, you know that, that's frustrating to watch so I don't know so but but that tells you as well like you know does Klopp and company do they really think that mid as an emergency or you know if they plugged in Hamas Rodriguez are they just going to have Hamas Rodriguez covering the fullback you know <laughs> so it's it's not really uh, you know it's not really clear if they're holding these players back from what their ultimate capability is and and you know it would just be a waste to plug in a more you know somebody that we think is more talented um, it's just it's very unclear just because Klopp has such a specialized system yeah, I think you're right to mention that about one album, such a strange player. And away games, he can be almost anonymous because sometimes it nearly feels like he's been coached to the extent that he's nearly forgotten his natural game. You see it a lot in away games where like, there's been some times where the keeper has touched the ball more often than he has. Then you see him at Anfield and he's an absolute monster, especially in big games. I can recall maybe five or six times against big clubs. You mentioned Barcelona. Either he's been absolutely brilliant in Anfield and completely dominated the game. So it's, I think it's, he is in many ways like what Klopp sees as his idyllic midfielder. He can do a bit of everything. And I think similarly, Keita can do a bit of everything. And uh, likewise, Fabinho. So would you see that probably as like the ideal midfield three going into the next season? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Keita, I think Keita is the ideal guy to have on the pitch for Klopp because I think I think whatever whatever Genie is being asked to do he's doing exactly that now I would guess that Kate is being asked to do a similar thing since he plays in the same position but his natural instinct is to 
get forward and create chaos however he can and, and carry the ball as well. You know, you look at it and he just, he has, his finishing is a level better than, than Genie's, I would say, in terms of the past in the final third. But aside from that, they're very similar players in terms of capability. But he just wants to do those things more. He wants to dribble the ball for 20 yards more so than, than Genie wants to do that. Even though Genie has shown on occasion when we need him to do that, he can absolutely do that. So, yeah, I, I just think I, I think Kata is a great guy to have on the pitch for a Klopp team because he's probably going against what the manager is asking him to do. To be honest, you know, he's probably he's probably being asked to play a more conservative role, just like Genie is, but he just has the instinct to sort of break out of that and attack whenever possible. I think that's a brilliant point. Sometimes the way I look at footballers is some are robots and then others are footballers. I think Naby Keita is one of the most natural footballers in the Premier League. Like when we've read about when he was signing, they were saying that he was like playing football in the streets of Guinea and weaving in between cars and motorbikes. And you can see that in the way he plays. He's just so natural and he's nearly still a little bit raw, but I think it works to his advantage because he's unpredictable he doesn't necessarily subscribe to this like predetermined pattern of play the way he dribbles the way he accepts the ball it's very hard to for opposition to deal with and um, I read an interesting piece yesterday they said that despite him only starting 16 games in the league last season that he he was the joint top progressive player in uh, in central midfield in the top five leagues in Europe alongside Adrian Rabiot so he got the joint most uh, hockey assists which, you know, considering he had some early struggles adapting to the play and, you know, to the tactics and picking up niggly injuries, I think that's, uh, that's astounding when you, when you really look at it in context. Yeah. I mean, I found it stunning, you know, at times, you know, if you sort of like took on Twitter, people in the late spring, you know, people were still complaining about Navigator and, even even today, people are still talking about him as if, uh, you know, he's a potential bust. <laughs> but it's just it's odd because we really, as I said, before January, before Kata started playing consistently, we got literally nothing from the midfield from a attacking standpoint. And then he comes on and everything is different. You know, really, what was I think Bournemouth was his first uh, real full game, and he was part of all three goals. <laughs> and, and and considering we had really gotten nothing attacking wise from the midfield before that, uh, you'd think people would be dancing in the streets with what he was able to contribute. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I guess it just at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people say. I, I think he's it's we're very lucky to have him on the team, you know. And all we need is for him to be able to stay healthy because he's. If Liverpool are going to win the league, it's going to come down to Navicata playing a significant role. I completely agree. And I think a really encouraging facet is how he was trusted in the bigger games towards the end of last season. So starting at home to Chelsea in the must-win game when we were going for the title, excellent performance. Starting away at the new camp before Ivan Rakitic introduced him to uh, his studs, um, another very encouraging performance. So I think clearly, like, Penny has dropped them maybe a little bit to kind of do what Klopp wants him to do in a tactical sense. 
And then if you marry that with his obvious natural ability, it's uh, you're looking at a formidable player. He's still only 24 years old. I mean, I think we shouldn't take for granted how young he is. And if you looked at his pictures when he's come back for pre-season training on Monday, he's really buffed up by the look of it. So I think that's also another very uh, point of optimism for me is how much maybe more physically able he is for now because a player like him, as elusive as air on the ball and you know, as agile as air, they're always going to get kicked. So his ability maybe to take more punishment will stand him in good stead in the future. Yeah, you know, that's something that I sort of am concerned about as well. When you look at our depth, you know, a lot of our last year, a lot of our players were able to make it through um, most of the season without significant injury. But um, I think going into next year, you know, let's just be honest about it. Like Trent is going to be a target. And if Kata comes back and starts playing at the same level that he was in the spring, He's going to be a target, you know, so, so yeah, so I'm glad these guys bulked up over the summer. Um, you know, I haven't really had a good look at Trent. I'm sure he has as well, but, um, yeah, it's just, the, it's going to be difficult to sort of protect these guys. Uh, you know, I didn't, I really was upset for a, a few days after seeing, after the Sevilla match, because we didn't really, the, the, the crazy tackles started from minute one in that match and there could have been our players could have stood up and, and, and stop, put a stop to that or tried to put a stop to that sooner than, uh, you know, what happened to LaRucci in the, in the second half. I just felt like, you know, that that's something that our, our team needs to work on. You know, we, we play within the rules as much as possible and, and that's another thing where I think Navicata benefits us as well because I think him and Fabinho are the only ones that are sort of uh, you know go beyond that <laughs> to, to, to have a little bit of gamesmanship to, to them in terms of uh, uh, knowing when to put a foot in or uh, to niggle the other team or or to put the ball in the corner and you know, all, little, all the little things that, that certain players know how to do uh, to win, to win cups, to win silverware, um, you know, you got to have those players normally. Um, I, I think, in some ways, I think we were fortunate in the Champions League final to come up against Tottenham. Uh, you know, we we deserve the Champions League, we deserve that trophy like all day long. But at, at the end of the day, I think we were fortunate to come up against a team like Tottenham that sort of plays that way as well. That doesn't, that basically doesn't cheat, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, we we saw with Real in the in the season before that they were willing to do just about anything to 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 win. And and listen, I think I think if we play Real straight up ten times, we probably win eight. But you know, they're they're willing to cheat, and you know, Ramos does what he does, and that wasn't a unique situation. He does that every final, so. So basically, you're advocating for more shit houses in the Liverpool team. And that's yes. something that I, I can I can warm to that. I something yeah that I appreciate that. You know, when we were going through the Champions League last year, there was two teams I wanted to avoid: there were Atletico Madrid and Juventus because they can precisely shit house their way through games, and they're so good at it. And especially Atletico, in the image of their manager Diego Simeone, they're they're absolutely excellent at the dark arts. So you know. Football is a beautiful game, but there is something quite nice about a team that 
knows his strengths and knows kind of how to circumvent the laws and to get around things. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, I, everybody that listens regularly knows that I live in, I live in Madrid. And um, so obviously uh, I've seen a fair bit of their, their finals here. And um, the year the year before, so Real against Juventus, uh, <laughs> I was watching that final. And my wife's Colombian. And Ramos does what he does in that final and, and gets Cuadrado kicked out for nothing. <laughs> got him got him red carded just just basically acting. That's it, you know. And I was like yelling I was yelling so much at Ramos uh that I, I had to like leave the bar. It was just like a unbelievable situation because obviously like we're all rooting for uh rooting for Juve because they have a Colombian player and and Cuadrado is just a very likable guy, and, and uh, that was just unbelievable. So then, to then to see what he did to Salah the next year was like, uh, just uh, I can't even describe how angry I was. <laughs> I, I'd be in this same boat, but nearly a part of me like begrudgingly respects just how he gets away with these things and how little like compassion he used to have against his fellow pros. He'd do anything to win, he'd sell his own mother, I think. But that, that leads me on to uh, to the next point is our last preseason game of uh, of the season is uh, is tonight um, six o'clock my time against Leon in Geneva. How would you appraise preseason so far? <laughs> Don't be afraid to tell the truth. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, bottom line is we got to look better against Leon. Um, you know, this is uh, this is a serious club. Like they have real talents that we're coming up against here, and um, some that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're looking at purchasing whether that's this summer or next. Um, you know, it's going to be a real test, and that's probably exactly who we need to come up against to get ready for City and to get ready for the Premier League season. Um, I, I don't think it's going to go well, to tell you the truth. I think I think like one of the underlying things, aside from sort of just the ridiculous temperatures and everything that we were dealing with. Uh, in the United States is that just the entire look of the team changes, not just when the front three is missing, that's part of it. And that's sort of what everybody's, um, focusing on. But Allison, for me, like just changes everything. Like you see some of the goals that we give up that aren't necessarily directly Magnolia's fault, but it's like starts from some scenario where he, where everybody's sort of confused about what he's going to do in terms of the outlet pass. And, you know, he saw this, uh, what was it? The first goal that we gave up against Sevilla, where he just has like a weird interaction with Klein, and then Klein makes a couple of mistakes because he's not sure what Mignolet is going to do, and just and then the, and then the balls in the back of the net, and, and there's just so many scenarios like that that we're familiar with over the years from Mignolet, and so you know, on some level, I'm just not sure that any of this matters because you plug Allison into this team and just so much changes in terms of the distribution, uh, in terms of how calm we are in defense. So, you know, I think it's going to be more of the same against Leon. I bet we'll get our butts handed to us again, but that really matters. Yeah. I think really it's paramount that you just build fitness and maybe a bit of cohesion back into the team at this stage of year. I had then up the community field at the weekend, which, and on your vantage point is uh, is another preseason game and something that I wouldn't necessarily be confident about. Um, 
there's a thing with this Liverpool midfield that he's tends to pick in the last two games on big pitches is that they get exposed quite a lot and Wembley is massive so it's it's not something I'm particularly confident about but if you'd ask me do I really care about winning the Community Shield and the answer would be no so I think as long as nobody gets injured and you know they can give a decent account of themselves I think that'll be fine <laughs> yeah I mean I think that will probably lose the community shield as well. It's just it feels like it feels like as a Liverpool fan that's just sort of I've seen this movie before and we'll probably get torched against City and, and but all the other rivals on Twitter and everybody will be laughing at us and then we'll just sort of dust ourselves off and start taking off the wins and when it really counts and you know before anybody knows it we'll be you know undefeated on a 10 match run or something like that. So uh, so yeah, I just feel like the way it goes with Liverpool is <laughs> we'll get stomped against City and everybody will have a good laugh at our expense and we'll move on <laughs> and we'll pick ourselves up from there and that's kind of how it'll go. Yeah, I agree. I think the squad is made from sterner stuff. As led by when the like, then letting, you know, preseason defeats or what have you kind of, you know, have a, a reputable effect on our confidence. I think they'll be fine and I think we'll have another good season. The lack of transfer activity makes me doubt whether we'll win the title, but I think certainly we can go very far in the Champions League again, depending on the draw, do well in the domestic cups. Do you think do you think that we'll our approach to the domestic cups will be any different? Or you know, it just sort of confuses me what, what Klopp's approach is to that or whether he takes it seriously whatsoever. Uh, I think our approach will be the same and that we'll rotate heavily. But we could get lucky with our draws. Last year we had horrific draws. We Wolves away in, in the FA Cup. You know their record against big teams is excellent. And then we had we had Chelsea at home in the in the League Cup. And you know Hazard does as Hazard does. And there's actually Mignolet playing that game as well. And a lot of question marks over whether <laughs> he could have saved that excellent virtuoso goal he scored. Um, he went past Moreno and scored past Mignolet. So two of the boo boys of Liverpool <laughs> were made to look fairly bad by Ed Hazard in that game. I don't think there'll be a change in policy in terms of selections. It's just that we could well go further just because we've drawn against the kind of teams that City played all the way through to both of their domestic cup finals last year. So I think they're well down the priority list, but depending, yeah. we could actually go quite far because I, I never envisions it a scenario where Klopp wants to lose. Right. And, and Brewster is such an X factor as well. You know, we just don't know what we're going to, really get from him and it was so promising when we were up against sort of lesser competition earlier in the summer he's continued to look good but he's in terms of production it hasn't been there against the bigger teams so you know so there's a lot to be seen there whether he can whether we can get through some of those uh, domestic cup stages running Brewster out there as the as the center forward yeah, it's difficult to know with Brewster. He's looked very good in some of the games you've seen him with. And, you know, you have to take into consideration he's been playing with, you know, the lesser players. Imagine how good he'd look with Firmino or Mane or Salah or Shakiri, etc. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, it's hard to know what the plan is with him, but um, certainly if there's anyone better in the world for developing younger players in club, I'm not sure who he is. So I think he's in the right place. And... I think that his contract extension and the way Klopp talks about him is probably an indicator of how highly he's rated. So sooner rather than later, his chance will come. And I hope it is early on in the season because I'm a bit impatient like that. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, something interesting to look out for with Brewster is that uh, I was listening to um, a top pod that was uh, back in May, I think, and, and Mel Reddy was talking about Brewster and they were having a, ba- a debate back and forth about what his capabilities were and where he could play on the pitch. And the rest of the tall guys were saying that uh, they could only see him playing as a center forward and that he needs to sort of like focus on one position. But Mel was sort of insistent that he's in terms of in training, he's training at, at all three forward positions. So, you know, so we sort of think of it in terms of we're only going to see him as a replacement for Bobby, but it's very possible that he could be put out there as well as, as a, sub for uh, either Mo or Mane. Exactly. And, you know, prior to this summer, I hadn't seen a lot of him because he hadn't played for Liverpool all that much, even in an underage context because he'd been injured. But, you know, a lot of people were very impressed him for his exploits with the English under-17s. But, um, you know, going into preseason, and I'm only basing this off the few games he's played, so it might necessarily pan out like that. But I was very impressed with his link-up play. I'd always had the picture of him in my head as just like, Jermaine Defoe on the shoulder on the shoulder of the last defender kind of striker, very aware in the box, very bloody minded and quick witted than he is, but his all round game seems a lot more developed than maybe people would envision. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, yeah, the the header the header was really encouraging as well. I didn't know that that was part of his part of his game. Yeah, and I just loved the movement for that because it <laughs> it looked like in the space of like a split second and he went like 50 yards like he just absolutely fired at it you can't teach that I really think he's uncoachable things like instinct or razor sharp so I think they might need to just add a few more things to it but he's 19 so you know hopefully that comes but I think the left hand side is maybe a place where you know he can look to play Um, I actually wrote about this in AI Um, he could well be like the man he understudied this season and they could focus on maybe putting Origi as a nine because Origi kind of fluctuates between both. I think at this stage in his, um, yeah, in his development, he's probably better off focusing on one area. But uh, I think Brewster is at the age where it wouldn't do him any harm whatsoever at all to play wide. Yeah, that's the thing as well. That's a good point. I mean, you know, you have sort of uh, two players who might operate best in the channel, you know, so if you have... You know, I, I could see in some of the cup matches playing effectively two up top, you know, with, with Rigi and Brewster. So um, I don't see why that wouldn't work. And Klopp's like in those like in those League Cup matches, he's willing to do just about anything. So <laughs> you never know what you're going to see. That's exactly that. And with that, I think it's it's time for us to say goodbye here on the debut Anfield writers, Anfield Index writers part of the season. So, um, but I'd like to thank you very much for joining me. Um, before you go, can you maybe tell people where they can follow you and any plugs that you have? Yeah, I got, uh, I've got an article that I uh, just uh, sort of submitted into the system uh, that's called Trademark Liverpool. Uh, so that's just another of uh, our sort of weekly controversies as a club that's <laughs> bubbled to the surface, and uh, I wrote about that. Um, so check that out, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's brilliant stuff. So for me, John O'Sullivan, and my guest, Adam Petriccioni, it's goodbye and good luck.
Social Podcast Network.